Amen. Good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. I am Pastor Roger, one of the staff pastors here at Holland Chapel. It's my privilege to be able to share God's Word with you today. And I want to join with Nick in wishing everybody a Merry Christmas. Good grief. As we celebrate the Advent season, and as our staff, as we were making preparation, there you go, Nick, it's contagious. As we were making preparations for our Advent series and uh, looking at topics, and the, the subject of grief, and uh, we might think, well, why grief during a celebratory season? But the reality of things is that this season of the year, is one of the target times that Satan attacks us and uses grief to try to turn us away and rob us from the joy that God has provided and God has given to us. And so the reality of grief, for us to look at and to address that in order to, by the help of the Spirit of God, the understanding of God's Word, application of that into our lives and our circumstances, be able to deal with grief in a biblical way so that we can, rather than being overwhelmed and overcome by grief, we will be able to overcome grief and celebrate the provision that God has made for us. In Jesus Christ. And so we want to look at grief this morning from the perspective of what the Bible talks about in grief because, as is common with a lot of things in our culture today, we may think of grief a little bit differently than how the Bible defines grief. Uh, one of the characters that I already have made a passing reference to, Brother Charlie Brown, uses the expression of good grief. A lot dealing with some of the unfortunate and inconvenient circumstances of life, such as dealing with uh, that problematic Lucy who keeps jerking the football out uh, from him when he's uh, prepared to kick, dealing with his friends and their circumstances and uh, all of the, the circumstances of the, the difficulties of the great pumpkin and the pumpkin patch and and all of those things, good grief is a common reference that is used in relation to basically inconveniences and difficulties on a minor level that we experience in life. The Bible paints for us and gives us a definition where it shows grief to be much heavier than that. And part of the importance of recognizing the heaviness of grief is recognizing the salvation and the deliverance that has brought us relief from that grief. And so one thing that we don't want to do is we don't want to minimize the salvation of God and make less of Jesus Christ than what He is because Jesus not only paid for and conquered the smaller things that we might think of, but Jesus Christ has covered and paid for the heavy things. And grief 
is one of those heavy things. We think of grief in the context of the scripture as being a deep loss, a deep sorrow that we are experiencing and that we are dealing with. It can even be a perception. And we'll deal with that a little bit here in a moment when we're talking about how Satan works to deceive and to mislead us. But anyway, it is a heavy weight that we struggle with, that we feel this deep sense of loss and sorrow. And the Bible talks a lot about grief, a lot about sorrow. The reality of grief is there's many reasons that we grieve and there's many different circumstances that come about as far as experiencing grief. But the root of all grief goes back to sin. And it goes back to Satan. And it goes back to rebellion against God. Because God in His creation, He created things perfect. He created things right. There was no need or reason to grieve. But Satan, but Lucifer, is the one that introduced rebellion against God. Disobedience to the word and to the instruction of God, which brought grief. Adam and Eve experienced grief in the garden because they listened to what Lucifer said in tempting them. And then they violated the word, the instruction that God had given them. So because we are in a, a sin-cursed world and because we are sinful creatures ourselves, we experience sin and one of the ways that we experience it is grief in circumstances of loss and sorrow in circumstances of loss. So it's really, it's inevitable that we're going to experience grief because of this sin-cursed world. It's going to come our way. It may come our way because we grieve in failing health. We may grieve in financial loss. We may grieve in the loss of loved ones. We may grieve in broken family and broken marriage. But every reason we grieve is because sin has shown itself in some way. And we realize that God's plan is to deliver us from the curse of sin. Grief is an experience that we are each one going to experience. But grief is not, listen to me, grief is not a sentence. Grief is something that we will experience, but it is not something that we are doomed to remain in. Grief is something that God has provided and does provide for us deliverance and relief from. As I begin preparing for this, one of my challenges that I had in preparing the message today is there are, there are so many uh, passages of Scripture and there, the Bible talks about grief so much. I guess either I had forgotten it or I had, uh, I had just not ever realized it. How many places in the Bible grief 
is expressed and spoken of in the circumstances that come about. Of course, when we talk about grief, probably more than anywhere else, we're going to think about Job. We'll look there in the book of Job this morning to remind us and to help us to identify some things that we want to, uh, that we want to address today. But we see grief expressed by Solomon and by David. Uh, we see it expressed by Job, by Jeremiah. Uh, the Old Testament prophets, so many of them expressed grief because of Israel's rejection. Uh, of God's instruction and guidance to them. But, uh, but we see so much grief. And in light of so much grief, recognize that in order to cover all of that grief, it takes a tremendous deliverance and a tremendous salvation. And God's provided one. God has provided that for us. In the book of Job, the first chapter, we're going to notice the messengers as they came to Job, bringing him the bad news that stirred his grief. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them, when the Sabaeans raided us, they stole all the animals and they killed all of the farmhands. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Grief began. And while he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. And I am the only one who escaped to tell you the grief accumulates. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who escapes to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Put yourself in Job's shoes. Do you see the pattern that is developing? And this fourth messenger said, your sons and daughters. And at that I would assume that Job's heart would wilt. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home and suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. And Job stood up and tore his robe in the grief and then he shaved his head and he fell to the ground to worship. The expression of Job in the tearing of his robe, the shaving of his head, customary, traditional in their culture, as expressions of grief and loss and, and humility and suffering, 
his falling to the ground, all of these things tell us that Job experienced great loss. And so we look at this example in the Bible, and I think one of the things that we commonly say is why. Why? There's so much that we, we don't understand, and especially we don't understand if we don't get it in the context of the big picture. You see, earlier here in the book of Job, we were told that Job was a very wealthy and prosperous man. We were told of his camels and his sheep and his oxen and his donkeys and his great wealth and his blessings that he had and all that he possessed. But we're also told that in the book of Job that there's a battle that is going on between the forces of darkness and the forces of light, between Satan and between God, the righteous and the holy creator of all. And Satan in his rebellion and in his destructive nature, speaking against Job, spoke to God and said, If you let him experience grief, he'll deny you. And of course, God had confidence and knowledge in his servant Job. And God said, I tell you what, I'll let you test that theory <laughs> and I'll show you that my provision for my people will conquer grief. And so the scriptures tell us, we're also told even more came on Job. That even following this, when he didn't deny God, that Satan said, well, let me, call, let me cause just a little more grief. And isn't that a common experience that we experience? That we think, well, this has happened and that has happened and my heart is heavy and, and, and we're dealing with grief in our lives. And then we get some more news or we get something else that comes and we think, man, wasn't that enough? You know, I feel like I've been kicked while I was down. You see, the curse of sin and the work of Satan against God's kingdom, the work of darkness against the kingdom of light is continual. Peter spoke of it when he said that the devil is a roaring lion go about, goes about seeking who he can devour and he can destroy. And the devil is continually looking for the opportunity to cause grief. And we deal with grief and it is a reality of life. But it's not a curse that we cannot be lifted out from under. It's inevitable. But we have a salvation and a deliverance. The wise man Solomon referred to some of his grief by saying, much knowledge, with much knowledge comes sorrow. But then he also said, with understanding comes peace. The relief and the rest that can come. Grief in some ways is an acknowledgement of the value of something. We grieve much 
because we have lost much. When one of our loved ones passes and we grieve their passing, not because they've gone on to be with the Lord, we grieve their passing because we no longer have their presence. But when we grieve, our grief is directly in relationship to the value that we give to that person. Financially, if we grieve financially, we grieve generally based on how much we value that particular thing. If you come over to my house stomping around in my shed and you step on one of them little old Walmart fishing rods and it breaks, I'm going to say, oh well, no big deal. If you step on my G. Loomis, I'm going to squall. <laughs> However we value it measures our grief, right? So things that have great value to us, whether it's financial or emotionally or even spiritually, things that we value, our grief in one way is a measure of how we value them, how we measure that loss. And then the deliverance and the rest and the peace and the relief that comes because of God's provision, you see, is also measured by our grief. Because with great grief comes great salvation. With great suffering comes great rescue. And with a great opponent comes a greater hero who delivers us and saves us. So the weight of grief is real. And we don't, want, we don't want to allow the devil to deceive us or to mislead us. We want to understand from the biblical text that grief has a heavy weight, that it is real. David spoke of grief that he experienced in circumstances that messed his mind up in such a way that he couldn't think straight. He referred to it as foolishness. He said, I thought in my grief, I thought foolish thoughts. And I think that we all can say, Amen, me too. I've been there. I've done that. In, in my grief, my mind just could not rationalize and figure things out. And I thought some things that just I knew weren't right, but my mind had just went into that area with its grieving. David also referred to grief as being exhausting to our bodies. When he said that he lay on his bed, but he could find no rest. And he tossed and he turned and he couldn't sleep and he, he couldn't find physical rest. When David received the message, the news that his son Absalom, who had rebelled against David and had tried to overthrow the throne and take the throne from David. When David received the message that his son Absalom had died... David's response to that, even with this rebellious child, his response was, oh, that it could have been me that died, and Absalom could have lived. But you see, yet God knew Absalom did not need to be the king of Israel. David needed to be the king of Israel. God, in his wisdom, had acted and had intervened. But we see that David experienced a heaviness in his spirit, in his heart, 
of grief at the loss of this son. Job told his three his counselors, his friends that came to help him out with his little problem that he had. He said, it would be better for me that I had not been born. That was a pretty serious expression of grief. He also said that my grief is too great for words. I'm, I am experiencing sorrow and loss in such a way that words are insufficient and incapable of expressing it. He said, my grief outweighs the sands of the sea. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because he grieved over Israel's rebellion against God and their refusal to repent. And so, as Jeremiah saw everything that Israel was losing, the blessings of God and everything that God wanted to do for that people, and in their rebellion and disobedience, it was being lost, he grieved his second book is not named Jeremiah, it is named Lamentations. The weepings, the cryings, the moanings, the lamenting of Jeremiah for the people of Israel. Grief is real and grief is heavy. And that's because sin is real and sin is heavy. And Satan will use anything that he can as a trap to trap people into lies, to, to trap people into false assumptions, to cause them to believe that there is no relief and that there is no provision for them. And we need to be aware as the scriptures instruct us, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. Because we want to realize that even though grief is a reality, just as much, even more so, God's deliverance and God's salvation and God's overcoming power to give us victory over grief and over any consequence of sin is real. And that it is more powerful than the grip of sin. But that doesn't, st that doesn't stop Satan from his attack. He continues to work, he continues to lie. Examples that we see in the scripture that help us clarify and understand grief better and how we should deal with it better. We see in the case of Jacob, the father of the children of Israel, the families of Israel, the brothers of Joseph. You remember Joseph was the son that the father loved and he had the coat of many colors and the brothers were jealous and they didn't get along good and so they decided we'll get rid of Joseph and that'll get rid of our problems. That's kind of like, we'll get rid of this and it won't be causing us any more grief. And so they took Joseph and they sold him to the Egyptians. They sold him to some merchants It took him to Egypt. He became a servant. We know the story. Over time, Joseph rose to be second only to Pharaoh in Egypt. But you see, whenever they did this, they went home. They took the coat. They had put the animal's blood on it. They took that coat and they took it home and showed it to their father. And they said, a wild animal has killed Joseph. The scriptures tell us that Jacob grieved the loss of his son. And he didn't just grieve him then. Because years later, when Joseph was in a position of power in Egypt, 
and he requested that his younger brother Benjamin come to Egypt, the father's response was years later. I can't let him go to Egypt because if something happens to him, it would be the end of me because I've already lost Joseph. He was still grieving. Years later, the loss of Joseph. But understand this and recognize what was happening. Joseph was alive. He was not dead. But in his mind and in his understanding, in the lie that he had been told, he was grieving. Satan will do that to us. He will take a lie. He will use a lie. He will cause us to grieve. And if we grieve in that lie, we will not have the relief or the, the provision that the truth provides for us. Another example from the scripture, immediately after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there, we're told in one of the gospel accounts that Mary and Mary Magdalene had come to the grave to bring the spices to anoint the body and the perfumes that were customary. And when they arrived, the stone had been rolled away. And they looked in and the body of Jesus was not in the tomb. And Mary assumes that someone has stolen the body, grave robbers perhaps, but they have taken the body of Jesus and they've moved it. And so there is this figure there in her presence in the garden that she assumes to be the gardener. And she in her grief expresses to him, please, please tell me where you have taken his body so that I can take these things to anoint the body and to show that reverence and, and, and that customary care for Jesus. Her assumption was that Jesus' body was gone, that he had been taken away. But even as she experienced that grief of not only having lost Jesus, that he had died on the cross, but now the body has been taken and I can't even show my respects in that way. That figure that stood there in the garden said, Mary, Mary. And when he called her name, she recognized the voice. And she looked immediately and said, Master, because the one that she assumed to be the garden was the resurrected Jesus himself. And you see that that assumption of something that was incorrect that brought grief at the body not being present had not yet recognized the reality and the truth of the matter that Jesus was resurrected from the death and he is resurrected from the grave. And you see, for us in life, the same thing can happen sometimes that an assumption that is not a truthful assumption or an assumption that is based on bad information robs us from the joy because Mary immediately turned from loss and grief and sorrow to tremendous joy. You see God provides salvation but the devil would love to trap us and destroy us in grief. Understand this that grief and to grieve is not 
a sin. Sometimes the source of bad information even comes from religions. Jesus said that about the Pharisees. He referred to their teachings as bringing a curse on men rather than a blessing. We see in the scriptures grief is not a sin and this is borne out by the fact that the Lord himself experiences grief. The Old Testament speaks many times of the father grieving over Israel or grieving over one of his people in their rebellion against him. It caused the father, God the father, grief. We see Jesus in the garden as he realized and as he expresses the loss that he was going to experience. Giving up that relationship and that fellowship and that perfect existence by taking on our sins. Called out in the garden in prayer. At Lazarus' grave, Jesus wept because he felt and experienced grief even though he knew he was fixing to raise him back up. On the cross, Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced grief. Paul instructs the Ephesians to conduct themselves as believers in a way that they will not grieve the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit can experience grief. God the Father has and can experience grief. Jesus experienced and expressed that he ex experienced grief. Understand that grief is not a sin, but grief can become sin if we choose to remain in the trappings of grief rather than the deliverance that God has made available to us. Just a couple of reference materials, a couple of books that could be very helpful. Experiencing Grief by Norman Wright and Healing is a Choice by Stephen Arterburn. Both of these books deal with grief in a biblical context. And the, uh, the book Healing is a Choice actually deals with a format of Dealing with the ten most common lies that Satan uses to rob people of his salvation and his deliverance. God's provision for us is that we would not stay in grief, but that we would experience the provision that he has given to us and the psalmist wrote about that and spoke of God's desire and his provision to relieve us and to give us blessing rather than grief. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. God provides deliverance from grief. And He has done that through the provision of Jesus Christ, the one who has paid the price to cover sin and the curse of sin and the effects that sin have 
on God's creation. And we are living in the process. The process of the redemption of God through Jesus Christ. We celebrate the Advent and we celebrate in Advent the coming of Christ at uh, Bethlehem. But also we celebrate the return or the second coming of Christ. Whenever at that time all believers, those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ, will experience a resurrection and the overcoming and the conquering of sin. You see, with God's provision and God's help and understanding that God has a timetable, God has a a framework for us to learn and to grow and to understand. Solomon said there's a time for everything under the sun. There's a time for grief. There's a time for sorrow. There's a time that we experience the loss and feel the weight and the heaviness of it. But he said there's a time for joy. And there's a time for peace. And there's a time for celebration. And you see God will work these things out in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, even in our bodies. If we will look to him. John wrote to the believers and he posed a question to them. He said, who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians concerning their their concerns of the resurrection and, and those that had already died in the Lord. And he told them of how that the Lord was going to bring them back and that he was going to restore them. And in the resurrection, they would be present. They would not be absent. He said, encourage one another with these words. This is a promise that I have made to you and given to you. And it is your hope. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians concerning the death of loved ones and the resurrection as well, he said that, The resurrection, the fulfillment of the work of Christ in us in that way is our ultimate victory over sin. It's our conquering of loss and sorrow and grief that God has made this provision for us. And there is this pathway to peace that is given to us in Jesus Christ. You see, deliverance from grief has a name, and his name is Jesus. Relief from sorrow, relief from loss, relief from grief, has a name, and the name is Jesus. And the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and his resurrection from the grave, is our victory. And it is our power to overcome grief. It's not that we will not experience grief or no grief. It is that we will know the victory. And that we will know the salvation of God in his son Jesus Christ in ways that I think are beyond our capacity to grasp at this time. This morning... If you do not know Jesus Christ in the forgiveness of sin, and if you do not have within your heart and mind the hope and the promise 
of the resurrection and the conquering of sin. My prayer for you today is that you will find that. And today, if you are suffering in the bondage of grief, my prayer for you is you will find the victory and the freedom that is ours in Jesus Christ. Father, as we come before you this morning and we thank you, we thank you for your provision of salvation. We thank you for Jesus Christ and everything that is ours because of what he has done. I ask, Lord, this morning that you would touch and move in our midst. If there's an individual here that does not know you, draw them to you. Lord, I ask these favors in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.